Turn to James chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, all right? James 3, open your Bibles to James 3, and then put a marker at 2 Corinthians 5. I appreciate you bringing your Bibles to church. You know, there are, I don't mean this critically, it sounds critical, and I really don't mean it critically, but you know there are a lot of churches you can go to, you can attend and not take a Bible, and that's sad. And I, I appreciate you bringing your Bibles, I appreciate you having a quiet time and reading your Bibles during the week and studying your Bibles and uh, wanting to learn more about God. We're going to continue our series on happiness redefined. And the reason we call it happiness is because we're looking at the Beatitudes and we have one more after this week. It'll be this week and then, then one more next week. And then we'll have a Mother's Day and then we'll have a special Mommy's Day message and Mommy's Day service and all of that that weekend to honor our wonderful mothers. My boys are both over six feet tall. And they um, um, call uh, my wife Mommy. Uh, instead of Mom, they call her Mommy. How are you, Mommy? And they uh, do things for her, and they'll, they pick her up and carry her places. And they just, they're just big boys and good boys. But we were talking last night with our daughter-in-law, uh, Hannah. And uh, she said, when we first met them, the very first thing when we walked in to uh, meet her at a restaurant when Josh was dating her, Josh immediately walked over and said, hey, Mommy. And she said, I think that's when I fell in love with him, when I saw how much he loved and honored his mother. So, you know, I need to get to the message here. I'm just kind of up here talking away, having a good time. All right. The Beatitudes are about being happy. I want you to understand that. The word blessed means happy. And the Beatitudes are the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. That's, that's the thing that we really need to see about the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, the last word of the last sentence of the last chapter of the last book of the Bible is cursed. Malachi 4.6. That's the last word of the Old Testament. Cursed. And the first word of the first sentence of the first sermon recorded in the first book of the New Testament is blessed. So Jesus comes along to make a transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And whatever this New Covenant is, and it's lots of things that you could describe it, lots of words you could use to describe it. But let me say this, whatever it is, it is characterized by happiness. And if you're not happy, you may not be living according to the principles of the New Covenant. Because Jesus comes along and immediately says, happy are these people. Happy are these people. Happy are these people. And I know you're in James 3, but let me just read you this beatitude we're going to cover. Verse 9, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed or happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Happy are peacemakers. Well, before we can talk about peacemakers, we have to talk about peace. All right? We can't talk about making it if we don't know what it is. So, number one, question number one, point number one, what is peace? Now, most of the time... I give you a definition when I ask a question like this. Immediately, I give you the definition. I'm not going to give you the definition toward the, to until the end of this point, all right? So I want to give you some background about peace, first of all. I want you to understand that the Bible begins and ends with peace. It begins and ends with peace. In other words, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had peace with God and peace with each other until sin came in the world. Conflict is a result of sin. Now, this may shock you a little bit, but all conflict is a result of sin. 
There was no conflict in this world and no conflict between people until sin came in the world. That's when conflict came in the world. So the Bible begins with peace and it ends with peace. It ends telling us about a kingdom that is coming that is ruled by peace. As a matter of fact, it describes it this way. The lion and the lamb shall lie down together. That's the kingdom of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. God is not the author of confusion, but of... Okay, this is a really easy one because the, the whole point is what is peace. The message is about peace. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Okay, so if God is the God of peace... If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, here's a very simple question. Why don't we have more peace? Two reasons. We have a devil that fights it, and we have people that reject it. We have a devil that fights it. Satan will do everything he can to disrupt your peace. Because peace is really your relationship with God. See, if you're in relationship with the God of peace, you have peace. When you break that relationship, and I'm not saying lose your salvation, but I'm saying when you break that fellowship, when you walk away, when you don't invite God into every area of your life, you don't have peace in those areas of your life. And so the devil fights it, and people reject it. Literally, you say, well, why would a person ever reject it? Here's what we do. We think we can handle the situation better than God. With God, you've got a lot of things on your mind, you know, uh, Asia and Israel and all that stuff. And um, so I'll just, uh, I'll handle this situation. When you do, you'll have conflict in that area because God is the God of peace. And by the way, if you think being a peacemaker is being a sissy or a pansy, can I use the word pansy? In the Greek, it's panzos. (laughs) If you think being a peacemaker is being a pansy, you're wrong because I want you to understand something. You have to be a warrior to bring peace. You have to be strong to bring peace in the midst of conflict. And we are called to be peacemakers in a war zone, in a world that's filled with war. In 1945, the United Nations was formed. One of their stated goals was to bring peace to the succeeding generations. Did they do it? No. Failed miserably. You want to know why? Man can't bring peace. Man cannot produce peace. Peace comes only from God. One, uh, one person said it this way. Peace is that glorious moment in history when everyone stops fighting to reload. <laughs> Let me tell you what man has done. Cease fires. Truces. It's not peace. And we've had 3,500 years of recorded history when you don't include the Bible. I'm talking about secular recorded history now. In that 3,500 years... It is estimated we've had 14,351 wars. That's four a year. And many of these last for years. 14,000 wars. 3.6 billion people have been killed in war. And in that 3,500 years of recorded history, 8,000 peace treaties have been made, and all of them have been broken. All of them. Why? Because peace doesn't come from people. It comes from God. There is no peace without God. I want you to understand that. Now, what is the world's definition of peace? I asked my wife this. I said, what is the definition of peace? And we've been had this even drilled into us. She said, it's the absence of conflict. That's what people tell us. Peace is the absence of conflict. That's wrong. That's wrong. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of righteousness. Let me say it another way. 
I can have conflict in my life and still be at peace as long as God's in the situation. You got, you got to remember when I say righteousness, Jesus is righteousness. So here's another way to say it. Peace is not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. You can have a storm, and if Jesus is in the boat, you can have peace. <laughs> so as long as you've got Jesus in your life, in that area of your life, everything can be going on around you, but you can be at peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict. We're going to have conflict in this world. Peace is the presence of righteousness. It is introducing righteousness into the situation. And there is no peace without that. So, that's what that's peace. What is peace? Here's number two I want to ask you. What is a peacemaker? Well, this is an easy one. I'll give you the definition right at the first. A peacemaker is a person who invokes righteousness. In other words, a peacemaker is a person who brings righteousness into the situation. If you don't bring righteousness into the situation, you have no peace. Most of my life, I've been a peacekeeper instead of, peace, of a peacemaker. You know what the difference is? A peacekeeper avoids conflict. A peacemaker resolves conflict. How many of you like conflict? <laughs> there are a few of you. You know, you've gotten past it and you're also a little brash. But anyway, most of us don't like conflict, right? But peacemaking doesn't come from avoiding conflict. It comes from resolving conflict. Let me say it another way. Having peace is a desire. Making peace is a decision. In other words, it takes an action to make peace. Now, look, look at James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Oh, by the way, before I read this, let me um, tell you something. Remember I told you the Beatitudes, I believe, are in order? Next week, now think about this. A peacemaker is a person who brings righteousness into a situation. Now, let me just say this. That's why they're persecuted, which is next week. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. See, persecution for righteousness' sake. A peacemaker is a person who brings righteousness, and when you bring righteousness, then persecution comes. All right. Now, look, look at uh, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Now, here's why I wanted to show you just that part of that verse. Pure, then peaceable. Remember again, I told you I believe the Beatitudes are in order. What was the beatitude, I know it was two weeks ago because we had Pastor Ricky last uh, week, but what was the beatitude two weeks ago, or what was the beatitude before peacemaking? Blessed are the pure in heart. Okay, the wisdom of God is pure, then peaceable. See the order again? Blessed are the pure, and then comes peace. By the way, uh, two weeks ago, um, when we talked about being pure in heart, we said the only way we can be pure is by grace and talked about being truly born again, we had 355 people born again that weekend. Isn't that wonderful? I was uh, sharing that with someone, and I rounded it down. Instead of saying 355, I said 350. The reason I did that is because I used to be an evangelist, and I used to round up. And so I started trying to get in the habit of rounding down, you know. And so I said to this person, I said, how many do we have saved, you know, that weekend? I said, 350. And just like that, the Holy Spirit said, 355. The other five are important to me. Just like that. I was just reminded of how important souls are to God. So 355 people say, so blessed are the pure. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's what follows. And then I'm telling you that it, the way you make peace is by sowing righteousness into the situation. Look at the very next verse, verse 18 of James 3. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make 
peace. See, the only way you make peace is you sow righteousness. You, you say, well, you sow the fruit. You, I, most of you know this, but you probably need to be reminded of it. Fruit is the seed. I mean, that's what is produced. The, fruit, the uh, tree produces fruit, but in the fruit is seed. So the way that you make peace is you sow righteousness in the situation. Now, listen to me very carefully. If you don't have peace in your marriage, the way you get peace in your marriage is not by trying to avoid the conflict that's there, but it's by bringing your marriage into right relationship with God. That's what righteousness means. Remember, righteousness means right standing with God. So if you have peace, if you have conflict in an area, you have to bring righteousness into that area. If you have conflict at work, you have to bring righteousness in that area. If you have conflict in your finances, you have to bring righteousness in that. You have to get your finances in right standing with God. If your finances are not in right standing with God, you will always have conflict in your finances. Are y'all following me? This is a better sermon than your amening. That's a lot of truth right there. I want you to think about that. If, you're, if you have conflict in your finances, then your finances are not in right standing with God. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't go through struggles and battles, but even when you're tight, you can be in right standing with God. I'm not, I'm not talking about this extreme you know, prosperity doctrine that's being preached many times. I'm saying that if you have an area of your life that there's conflict, is that area completely in right standing with God? That's how you bring peace. That's what I'm trying to tell you. How do you make peace? The way you make peace is by bringing righteousness into a situation. Proverbs 14:34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. In other words, righteousness is what brings peace to a nation. Sin is what brings conflict to a nation. Uh, Isaiah 57:21. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There is no peace. For the wicked. In other words, if you're not walking in righteousness, you're not going to have peace. Are y'all catching the, 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 what, the, the, what I'm trying to show you between this? Peace involves righteousness. When righteousness comes into a situation, there's peace. You probably already know this, but just in case you don't, there are 31,103 verses in the Bible. 31,103. What that means is, is that there is a middle verse of the Bible. There's 15,551 verses, and then there's, a one, then there's this verse I'm going to show you, and then there's 15,551 verses. On the, are you all following me? So what's the middle verse of the Bible? The middle verse of the Bible is Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The way that we stay in perfect peace is we keep our thoughts completely on God. We stay focused on God no matter what the situation is, no matter what the doctor's report is, no matter what the economic situation is, no matter what the stock market does, no matter how much gas is, and that's tough right now. We keep our thoughts focused on God. And when we do, we have perfect peace. Is there an area of your life, this is what I'm asking you, is there an area of your life where you don't have perfect peace? Okay, ask God then, how do you bring God into that situation? How do you bring righteousness into that situation? And here's the third question. Who are the peacemakers? Who are the peacemakers? All right, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there are two very well-known verses. And uh, we're going to look at those two verses, but then we're going to look at what's in between them, all right? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is what we shared on two weeks ago. We become pure in heart. All things become new through grace. Verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, or that we might be in right standing with God. Now, remember, right standing is always related to peace. Now, I'm going to read verse, the verse in between 18, 19, 20, but I don't want you to look at your Bibles. The reason is, is because I'm reading out of a new version. I'm going to read out of Robert's version. It's not that popular yet, but um, maybe one day it will be. Um, here's what I'm doing. I took the word reconciled and reconciliation. Every time that is in these next few verses, and I substituted peacemaking and made peace. Because when you reconcile, you bring peace in the situation. So I want you to look at these verses in this light, all right? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has made peace with us. New King James says reconciled us. Made peace with us through Jesus Christ. And has given us the ministry of peacemaking. That is, that God was in Christ making peace. Peace with the world, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of peacemaking. Now then, we are ambassadors, or peacemakers, we could say again, for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, make peace with God. Okay, simple, simple question and simple answer. Who are the peacemakers? Those who've made peace with God. That's what that's saying. Those who've made peace with God, now you've been given the responsibility and the ministry of peacemaking. If you've made peace with God, now your ministry, every one of us, our, all of us have the same ministry. It's to help others make peace with God. It's the ministry of peacemaking. And blessed or happy are the peacemakers. They're going to be happy. People who are going around bringing righteousness into people's lives, bringing right standing with God into people's lives and into every area of their life, they're happy. Those are happy people. So that's what we're called to do. Now, 2 Corinthians 5 is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. You want to know why? Because it says God was in Christ reconciling or making peace with the world. The world. Not imputing their sins to them. Now, I want you to understand something. This is extremely, extremely important. It doesn't say that God was in Christ reconciling believers to Himself. Not imputing their sins to them. It says the world. I want you to know, I believe that Jesus paid for the whole world. And let me, now I don't believe the whole world is saved. Let me say it this way. God has made peace with the world. But not everyone in the world has made peace with God. But this is why it's so easy to witness for me. Because God's already done it. In other words, what I'm telling people is, the money's in the bank, just cast the check. God has already made peace with you. God is not imputing your sins to you. And some people say, well then, how come some people are going to go to hell? They're not going to go to hell because of sin. They're going to go to hell because of unbelief. The Bible doesn't say, he that doesn't sin has life. And he that sins doesn't have life. That's not what it says. Here's what it says. He that believes has life. And he that doesn't believe doesn't have life. See, God has made peace with the world. He's reconciled the world for God so loved the world. 
Doesn't say believers. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And that whoever believes in Him should have life. In other words, God's made peace with the world. Now whoever makes peace with God has life. Are you all following me? So we're the peacemakers. And you know what the benefit is of being a peacemaker? This is the only one that says this. They shall be called the sons of God. Now, I need to let you understand why it uses the word sons here. It's not, it's not a gender bias thing. It's a specificity. It's a different word than is normally used for children. It means a specific, immediate, favored, chosen, honored, privileged child is what it means. Uh, in other words, he is trying to, there is such a, a specificity to this word that it is not general. It is not referring to grandchildren, although they are incredible, by the way. <laughs> it's not referring to grandchildren or to descendants. It's referring to an immediate, favored, even firstborn son, highly favored of the father. And it, that's why it could be son or daughter. Because, again, it's not a gender, it's a specific word, is what it's being used in the Greek. So, here's what this is saying. Those who are peacemakers, not only are they happy, they are the favored, honored, privileged children of God. And listen, there is no higher honor that I have in this life than to say, I'm a son of God. Guess who my dad is? That's peacemakers. My uh, father, I told you this before, was the first person saved in his family. And uh, he had two brothers. Uh, One uh, committed suicide. One um, uh, was an alcoholic, got out of prison uh, about a year ago, 71 years old, and uh, passed away this past week. I did the funeral yesterday. So everyone in my father's family from him, his level of brothers and up, has passed away. But he was the first believer in his family, and eventually, even though his brothers still walked in tremendous bondage, they eventually accepted the Lord before they died. And so, and so did his parents, because of him. But my father became a believer. My mother became a believer. And I was thinking about this as I was thinking about this message and having peace in, in an atmosphere. I grew up in a peaceful home. Not a perfect home but a peaceful home. And the reason we had a peaceful home was because my mother and my father brought righteousness into our home. And remember, righteousness is a person. When they brought Jesus into our home, it wasn't perfect because we live in a fallen world, but it was a peaceful home. Some of you didn't grow up in a peaceful home. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you did. But now it can change with you. Again, my uncle that, I, that we buried yesterday was an alcoholic in bondage to that. That's one of the reasons I believe a person can get saved and not get free. It's one of the reasons I believe so much in freedom ministry. But yesterday, his, uh, he had two sons. My uncle had two sons. In other words, I had two cousins. One died of a drug overdose at 33. The other one, I sat in a car with him when he was 21 years old and led him to the Lord. He's married to the daughter of a pastor now. He has three wonderful children. He was at the funeral yesterday. His whole life has changed. Why? Because he brought Jesus into his home. See what I'm saying? So what I'm asking you is, what area of your life do you not have peace in? That's an area you need to bring Jesus into. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.